Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Over the last few weeks, our pastor, Dr. Price, has been talking to us about a biblical perspective on some of the feelings that we have leading up to Christmas. We started a few weeks ago with uh, the anxiety that some of us feel when we've got all this stuff that needs to be done and all of the things that we need to prepare. And then we followed with that with the busyness that leads up to Christmas. And then he pushed us to be excited for Christmas. And so when he asked me to preach today, I, I, I asked him, do I need to preach a Christmas sermon? It's the 26th, it's the day after Christmas. And he said, no, preach whatever you want. And so, okay, free pass. Um, but as he walked through that series, I thought, okay, what do we need to think about the day after Christmas? Leading up to Christmas, we need to we felt like we needed to tackle some of those anxieties, that busyness, push us to excitement, but what do we need to think about now? And so this morning, we're gonna talk about the rejoicing and the hope that we should have in Christ for eternity. And so we're gonna be in First Peter uh, chapter one this morning, if you like to make your way there. And the one big thing that I want everybody to get this morning is that the eternal hope that we have in Christ should change our outlook on everything in all of life. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at this passage in 1 Peter chapter one, specifically verses three and five, but we're gonna read verses three through seven here in just a second. But the apostle Peter writes this letter to encourage believers these believers that he was writing to were facing heavy persecution because of their faith in Christ. They were being slaughtered because of their belief in Jesus. They were being uh, forced from their homes because of their belief in Christ. They were under heavy persecution. But Peter exhorted these readers to stand strong. He repeatedly reminds them of the example that they have in Christ Jesus. So he's reminding them over and over and over again of even though you're in this persecution, you have hope in Christ. So he reminds them of the riches of their inheritance in Christ. And he reminds them of the hope that they have in the promise of Christ returning again to take them to heaven. He continually makes this promise. And he explained how Christians should respond when they suffer. We should respond when we suffer in a different way than the world responds to suffering. Peter's often called the apostle of hope. His primary message is to trust the Lord, to live in obedience no matter the circumstance and to keep your hope fixed on God's ultimate promise of deliverance. And so Peter reminds his readers that suffering in this life is to be expected, but it is also temporary and it yields great blessing to those who remain faithful to the Lord. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and we'll focus in on 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you would make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. God, I pray that as I speak for the next few moments that I would be clear and concise and that every word that comes from my mouth is honoring to you and faithful to your word. God, if I speak anything that is contrary to your word, I pray that it is forgotten quickly, but every word spoken that is faithful to the text, God, I pray that it would sit on our souls for the days to come. May we as a church collectively be a people who hope in Christ. Father, as Paul told the church in Thessalonica, I pray that we would not be found grieving like the rest of the world, but that we would navigate the trials of this life with grace and peace as we look forward to the blessed hope of our inheritance in Christ. May we battle our anxiety, our busyness, our stress, our fears, our doubts with the hope of the gospel. May your name be honored in this place and may each of us seek to obey your word as we leave here. God, we ask all these things in the name of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in this passage, this is right after the beginning two verses of First Peter. And in those first two verses, we have a opening very similar to what we see from Paul throughout the New Testament. Uh, it's a, it's a, a greeting that is customary for the time. And so after that is this passage. This comes immediately after the welcome or the opening or whatever we want to call it. This comes right after that. And Paul or Peter, I knew I was going to call him Paul. I knew that was going to happen. But Peter hits us with this blessed hope. He is rejoicing. He, it, it doesn't even really fit in the flow, but he breaks through with this. It's almost a doxology or a short hymn of praise. And he breaks through with this and he is, he is exclaiming the goodness of our God. And so this couple of verses, it sets the stage for the entire letter. He is writing this letter, like I said, to people who are under heavy persecution. And so he, he starts it off with a praise. He is praising the Lord. And so that leads it in to the rest of the letter. And so if, if we wanted to boil down what Peter says here, he is basically saying, Praise God the Father for sending his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because of the mercy of God the Father. We have been born again, not by anything that we have done, but by the power of God in Jesus Christ, being resurrected from the dead. When we are born again, we are brought into a great hope. Not just any hope, but a living hope that is ongoing, a hope for the future that is unlike any other hope. This hope is an inheritance that we will receive when we die. 
The inheritance is greater than any that we could ever imagine, but not only that, it's being kept safe. It is being guarded. It's being guarded by the faith that God has granted to us and by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we guard the inheritance of our eternal future. We can't understand or fathom all of it now, but it is ready to be revealed to us when our salvation is complete when we die. That's my words and interpretation of what Paul, Peter, I'm doing it again, has said here. So hope is something that we're all familiar with, right? We all hope for something. We know if we know something is coming to us, we have this feeling of anticipation and desire and we're excited. Hopefully we've all experienced that a little bit over the last couple of weeks, just anticipating Christmas, hoping for Christmas. And that is what the Advent season is supposed to be about, right? We are anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus. We anticipate the celebration of the first coming of Christ, and we look forward to the anticipation of the second coming of Christ. And so we all are familiar in some way with this hope, right? We hope for a new car, a new job, a new home, a Christmas gift, a spouse. We hope for a child. We've all hoped for something and that feeling of longing for something that you know is coming. And so here in America, I think we're a little bit spoiled with instant gratification and, you know, we want what we want now. And if we don't get it on our time, then we're furious, right? We all experience this in one way or another. We, we want it right now. And if we don't get it right now, then there's a problem and we're going to complain. But this hope that Peter is talking about, he is pushing the readers to, to turn to Christ, to have hope. And this hope that he is pushing his readers to, and in turn pushing us to, requires patience. As I mentioned, this life is not easy. And for some, it is excruciatingly difficult. That is not lost on me. For some, this life is excruciatingly difficult, but we are never promised an easy life. As followers of Christ, we are promised the opposite. We are promised difficulty. We are promised trials. We are promised persecution. And so we should not expect an easy life. We should not expect this to be all hunky-dory. We should expect pain. We should expect trial and we should have the patience of the eternal hope that we have in Christ. The eternal hope that we have in Christ should change our outlook on everything in all of life. So this morning, let's look quickly. And for those of you who love to look at the screen and see the outline, it didn't happen. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to give you the outline. So if you're a note taker, this morning, we're gonna look at five reasons that we should rejoice in this great hope that we have. Five reasons. Number one, rejoice in the hope of the incarnation of Christ. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, right? Jesus came and was born in a manger. That's what we look at with Christmas. I want us to be careful and not compartmentalize who Jesus is. Don't just leave him in the manger. Me and my friend were having Bible study the other day and he said, you know, he referenced Ricky Bobby in the prayer from Talladega Nights, if anybody's familiar with that movie. And, and he's praying, he's praying to baby Jesus. And then his wife says, he grew up. And then her dad says, he, he was a man, he had a beard. 
And then his friend said, I like to picture my baby Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. And then it just goes downhill from there. And he starts just saying, this is the way I like to see my Jesus. We don't get to do that because we have scripture who tells us who Jesus is. So we can't just compartmentalize, hey, this is, this is what I wanna talk about with Jesus. This is who I want my Jesus to be. We don't get to do that, but we have such a better picture of who Christ is because of the word of God. And so it's good news for us that Christ was born. Paul says about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, verse six, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so God came down in the form of man in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, and that is good news. It is good news that Jesus came to live on this earth. The hope of a savior coming was set before the people of God hundreds of years before the actual birth of Christ. And the people of Israel looked forward to this coming. They looked forward to the Messiah coming to the earth. They had anticipation for it. And when Jesus was born, the hope of Israel was realized. Literally, the hope of salvation was born in the person of Jesus. And so we rejoice in the hope of the incarnation of Christ. Number two, we rejoice in the sinless life of Christ. Like I said, we need to be careful about compartmentalizing Jesus and not leaving him in the manger at Christmas, but remembering that he lived a life. He was a man and he was a sinless man. It's good news for us that Jesus lived his life in complete obedience to God the Father, that he never sinned. We have a high priest who can sympathize with what we are going through. We have a high priest who can sympathize with the temptations that we experience because he has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, yet we fall to sin and he never did. And that is good news. In the old covenant, in order for a sacrifice given by the priest to make atonement for sins, it had to be a spotless lamb, right? And Jesus his sinlessness causes him to be able to be that spotless lamb for us. He is able to make atonement for sin because he never sinned. And that's good news. A few, a few verses past what we're looking at today in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The sinless life of Christ provides a prototype for us to follow as we strive to walk in holiness and it provided the spotlessness required for an atoning sacrifice. It is good news that Jesus lived a sinless life. We should rejoice in that. So we should rejoice in the hope of the incarnation. We should rejoice in the sinless life of Christ. Three, we should rejoice in the cross of Christ. When we think back on the persecution, torture, and execution of Christ, it's a somber thought. It's something that, that causes us to, to pause, right? to think of all that Christ endured. But in the death of Christ, as Peter has stated here, we have been purchased and set apart from the world. It is good news that Jesus went to the cross. 
First Peter chapter two, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And in the final words of Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah says, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In his death, Christ bore our sins. And that is good news. We should rejoice in the cross of Christ. Number four, we should rejoice in the hope of the resurrection of Christ. We should rejoice in the hope of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus gives us great hope because Jesus defeated death. In Revelation chapter one, 17 to 18, John is explaining his vision of the son of man. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. I am the living one, I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. It is good news that Jesus resurrected because we have the hope of resurrection. We have the hope that Peter is talking about here, the hope for the future, this inheritance that has been purchased for us. Jesus bought that when he rose from the dead. And as John has said in Revelation, he rose holding the keys to death in Hades. That is good news. The fact that Jesus has defeated death and purchased us life is a reason for hope and a reason for rejoicing. So we should rejoice in that. So we rejoice in the incarnation. We rejoice in the sinless life of Christ. We rejoice in the cross of Christ. We rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. And finally, we rejoice in the ascension and enthronement of Christ. And I think this is one that we sometimes will skip over. We rejoice in the ascension and enthronement of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. It is good news that Jesus ascended into heaven because now he is continually making intercession for us. We are still broken sinners. Christ is always interceding for us. And so culturally as Christians, I think we sometimes hide behind the phrase, once saved, always saved. We sometimes get behind that in our tribe. But, and I believe that, don't hear me saying that. I do believe that. I believe that if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, he has saved you and you are being reserved for this inheritance that Peter is talking about. But I think sometimes we hide behind that and we try to play off sins, habitual sins and say, well, it's okay because once saved, always saved. They walked the aisle, they prayed that prayer, they're okay. I think sometimes we hide behind that. But we need to understand that Christ is making intercession for us. We need to recognize that the way the authors of the New Testament talk about salvation is very different from the way that we often talk about it. In this text this morning, Peter is talking about salvation in a way that has not yet happened. Right? In verse 5, he says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not a salvation that's already done. It's a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
And so I think that we can learn from the New Testament authors and understand that, yes, we have been justified, but it's not over yet. We still are broken. We still are sinful. And so we need to be rejoicing in the intercession of Christ. We need to be rejoicing that we have a Savior that not only understands what we are going through because he's walked in our shoes, but we have a Savior who sits at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes on our behalf every single day when you wake up and you're disobedient to God. We have a Savior that is interceding for us. We need to consider the fact that Peter's encouragement to rejoicing in the guarding by God's power that we have over us and the intercession for our sins that Paul talks about are very real and very important to who we are. Those are very real and very important to who we are. Christ is not aloof. He's not uninvolved in the present. A lot of times I think we can slip into that unintentionally when we say, you know, Jesus gave the great commission and then he ascended into heaven and then the Holy Spirit came. That is good news. But Christ was not just sitting in at the right hand of God in a lazy boy. He's not just hanging out. He is intimately involved in who we are. He is making intercession for sin. And so in a very real way, I think we need to rejoice in that guarding that Peter is talking about here that Peter is, he's referring to, it's, it's very difficult to explain in some ways, but it's concerned. It's concerning for those who are around us that claim to be followers of Christ, but don't live it out. We need to understand that. We need to understand that, that this is serious, that this is not just something that we can check a box and say, okay, they're good. We need to understand that this is an ongoing process that Peter is talking about here. He's talking about a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so we don't need to just say, okay, we're good. We've walked the aisle, we've prayed the prayer, we've checked the box, we're good. We need to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so these five things that, that Christ has done and is doing, the incarnation, the sinless life, the death on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, they should push us to action. We must recognize that we are at war in this life. This life is not a peacetime life that we should be living because the New Testament clearly points out that we are at spiritual warfare, that we are at war every single day within our lives. We have temptations coming at us in all ways, yet we are called to live holy lives. And so there is a battle waging. We are sojourners, we are exiles. We are not at home here in this life. That's why Peter says this, this suffering, these trials that you're going through, that's normal for the believer. That's normal for the follower of Christ. The best life is not here and now. The best life is this guaranteed inheritance that is coming in the future. So we need to work that out and we need to allow that to push us to action. So, I've got three things that we should seek to live out in our lives. So we had the five things and now we've got three things. It's a whole thing. It's a, I should have had slides. <laughs> the first thing, we should seek to live a life of praise. 
Just as Peter pushed his audience, we should be rejoicing in the hope of Christ, even in the worst seasons, right? Peter breaking out into this hymn of praise is pushing his readers to praise. He is telling them, I'm rejoicing in Christ. You should be rejoicing in Christ. And so we should use that as an example. We should allow Peter to push us in this way in this text. Some of us have a tendency to be negative people. That's just the reality. And I just, I just want to encourage you when you feel that you are slipping into a, a season of negativity, a mindset, and you know what that looks like, you know what that means, or you have this, this maybe pattern of the way that you talk or feel or complain, press into God's word. It is full of hope and joy. Press into the word of God. Peter is calling us to be joyful. He's calling us to rejoice, to praise, to have hope. And he's talking to people that are being put to death for their belief in Jesus. So we should seek to live a life of praise. Two, we should seek to live a life of obedience. A person who has been truly redeemed by Christ, born again, as Peter says in this passage, we should live a changed life. We should live a changed life, a life that desires to do what is right. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For most of us, submitting our lives to God doesn't really look much like submission. The way that we live doesn't really look much like we are submitting to any authority outside of ourselves. But we, as followers of Christ, need to abandon our pride and give everything over to Jesus. Our jobs, our money, our marriages, our hobbies, our minds, our secrets, our desires, our dreams, we need to hand them to the Lord and walk in obedience. As we walk in obedience in a world of disobedience and as we open our Bibles and read what it has to say about this world, I think we'll realize that the third thing, we should seek to live a life at war. We should seek to live a life at war. Now, I'm not advocating for violence at all. That's something that the New Testament also speaks against. But this is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. The New Testament deals extensively with this idea of spiritual warfare. Whether we want to recognize it or not, there's a fight going on all around us all the time, every single day. There is a war waging within myself every day when I wake up, whether or not I'm going to live in obedience or disobedience to the Lord. The same battle is going on in your life. Just like a soldier on the battlefield, if I let my guard down for one second, the enemy gains a foothold and I'm losing the fight. You know what that looks like. I know what that looks like. Peter uses this term guarded in this passage, right? Let's read it again. Verse four, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he's talking about you here in verse five. Kept in heaven for you, the reader, the believer, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So he's talking about the believer. He says the believers 
by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if you and I are believers in Christ, we are being guarded through faith. This term guarded here, it's a military term, meaning the vigilant defense of a fortress. And so we are being guarded in our lives by our faith. And so we understand that Christ has given us this faith. This is a gift. This is not anything that we can do. This salvation is not earned. It is given. But this term guarded pushes us to understand that we have a part to play. We need to be active in our faith. We need to be actively pursuing Holiness. We need to be actively pursuing sanctification. We need to be growing in Christ and growing our faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, we are being guarded. We wage this war that I'm talking about every single day. We, we live as faithful followers of Christ. And if we are to do that, we have to take up arms. We have to fight I have to ask myself, will I set my eyes on the hope of heaven or will I live as though hope doesn't exist? Negativity can take over. Negativity can consume us and we can live this life and say, there is no hope. But that's how the world lives, right? We should live as though we have this hope for eternity. We need to live as if we are at war because we aren't. And we need to approach this war with the confidence of the conqueror on our side. We know who wins the victory. We know who wins the fight. This term guarded, this military term, it's as if we are guarded by an army that we already know has won the fight. We are being guarded by our faith but we have to take up arms. We can't just sit idly by and say that God is going to guard us while we sit on the bench. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses us and our efforts to fight. Brothers and sisters, we must take this very seriously. The dangers of becoming lazy and lukewarm in our faith are concerning and very real. How easy is it to slip into a season of complacency? How easy is it to slip into a season of apathy? We must guard our faith. We must take up arms. We must fight this battle every single day with the confidence of a soldier that already knows the victory has been won. And I pray that as we prepare for for a new year, that you would pause and rejoice Rejoice in the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about him. And I'm sure there are many others in this room that would love to talk to you about him. Just let me know when we can talk, when we can sit down, how we can have this conversation. I would love to talk to you about him. But if you're here and you're a believer, know that you need to rejoice in who Christ is. Peter is pushing us to this eternal hope no matter what you're going through. Listen, I know there's people in this room going through hard things. I know that there's people in this room going through difficult seasons, dealing with things that seems like there's no way out. There's no way up. There's no hope. But if you are found in Christ, there is an eternal hope. 
Peter says it right here. There's an inheritance that you will receive in the last days. There's an inheritance that has not yet been revealed to you. Take hope in eternity. The pains, the struggles, the temptations, the brokenness of this life can feel consuming in the moment, but in light of eternity, they are very small. Take hope in eternity. So take hope that Christ has made payment for your sins and that he has purchased an eternal inheritance for you. We've got a little time. We're gonna do something a little different this morning. I have a plan A and a plan B in my notes. That's something you don't see every day. But if you're comfortable with it, I would love for you to grab maybe one or two people around you and we're gonna pray together. Uh, If you're in or around our student ministry at all, you're totally used to this. If you're not, you're gonna be uncomfortable and that's okay. So grab one or two people around you and I'm gonna give you some prompts and we're gonna pray out loud together If you're here and you're visiting with us or you're here and you're like, I'm not praying out loud, I'm not gonna force you to do that. But I would love for us to just get together and pray together this morning. Uh, So if you're with your family, just gather your family, pray together. I'm gonna give you guys a couple things to pray about and then I will close each section with a prayer. So you'll know when I start praying that we're moving on to the next thing. So the first topic that I want you guys to pray for is that God would help you to see past your present hurt and rejoice in the future hope that he promises to us. So pray that God would help you to look past your present hurt and rejoice in future hope and go. Father God, I pray that you would help us, each of your people in this room, that you would help us to see past the present pain of this life and look to the future hope that we have in Christ. God, help us to rejoice in who Christ is and what Christ has purchased for us. God, I pray that we would be consumed with the hope of heaven. God, I pray that we would long for the day when we can be in your presence rejoicing with all the saints. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see into the future and have hope for eternity. It's in Jesus' name, amen. The second thing, I want you guys to pray that God would equip you to be at war with sin and temptation. Pray that God would equip you to be at war with sin and temptation. Go.
Father God, I pray that we would each understand what you have told us in your word, that this life is not easy. God, I pray that we would take very seriously the call to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God, I pray that you would equip us to be at war with sin and temptation. God, give us the tools for the fight every single day when we wake up, every single day when we lie down to go to sleep. God, help us to fight this fight and honor Christ in the midst. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, the third thing, pray that God would discipline you to be a student of his word so that you might know and enjoy him more. Pray that God would discipline you to be a student of his word so that you might know him and enjoy him more. Go. Father, as we enter into a new year, I pray that we would be a people of the book. And I pray that throughout our church family that we would see people reading your scriptures maybe for the first time and that they would be finding a deep love for your word. And I pray that you would discipline us, help us to be students of your word so that we might know you and enjoy you to the fullest. God, help us to see the gems in your word every single day. God, help us to start piecing things together and learning and understanding who you are, what your purposes are. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in the hope of salvation that we find in this book. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, last thing. Pray that the people around you in your life would be exposed to Christ because of the way you conduct yourself with the hope of heaven. Pray that the people around you would be exposed to Christ because of the way you conduct yourself with the hope of heaven. Go.
Well, I hope I've made enough of you uncomfortable and that I've challenged you to pray with your neighbor. And uh, this is something we do in student ministry a lot, and I love it, and I, I, I wanted to do that this morning. And so thanks for entertaining me. Um, I'm going to pray. Aaron's going to come up. We're going to uh, have a time of invitation. And so this is a time for you to respond. If you want to keep praying with the people around you, you can do that. If you want to stand and sing with us, you can do that. Uh, we're going to sing a song called the One, Behold the Wondrous Mysteries. And a lot of the stuff that I've talked about this morning in the uh, incarnation the sinless life of Christ, the, the ascension of Jesus. A lot of this is mystery to us, but come behold the wondrous mysteries of God. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would help us this morning. God, help us to love you more. God, help us to sit in awe of who you are. God, help us to love one another well. God, help us as we approach a new year to be a disciplined people. God, to be a people who love your word, to be a people who are okay with praying with one another. God, I pray that it would be our default. And God, I pray that just as we have prayed together, that we would be a people who expose others to Christ because of the way that we have hope in eternity. God, we love you. I pray that we would grow in our knowledge and love for you. God, I pray that if anyone is in the room that does not have the hope of salvation, that you would convict them. God, put your irresistible grace upon their hearts. Draw them to yourself that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.